Lockwood is podcast, episode 10. My name is Tim Mitchell, and I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? I have Jonathan Kuline over there to the left of me in Mississauga, Ontario. On the left. So I guess I'm the guy in the east, and you guys are in the west, right? Because Jonathan's west of me, and Jaime's really west of me. Right? Yeah, the commute from my place to Jaime's is a bit of a burn, but, you know, it's all west. Yeah. Whatever. I'm also Whatever. Um, northwest of you, so I'm definitely north. Oh, that's true. Yeah, you're, 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 you're up higher. So is it snowing up there yet? It actually did snow this past week. <laughs> it didn't stick around for very long, but it did snow. Do you guys get like heavy, like do you get like proper snow? Like you have to get the shovel out and like it stays for weeks at a time or? Not usually. So this is probably the, the perfect example. The last time it seriously snowed, I ended up buying a snow shovel and then subsequently have not used it for the past two years because it wasn't necessary. So it's kind of a brand new snow shovel just sitting in my garage. You guys are probably like Vancouver. Vancouver's actually technically, I think a, um, a First Nations person I met, met there once doing so networking for us was telling me that Vancouver's actually technically a rainforest. So they get that kind of you know, nice weather off the mountain and stuff like that. It's just they've cleared all the trees away, right? So I wonder if Seattle is in the same sort of climate uh, technically, right? Yeah, probably. And, and Portland and that whole sort of like Cascadia sort of region. Yeah, you get sort of rainy, you know, gray sky most of the time, right? Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. more Seattle like. Yeah, that's what Vancouver was. I, I remember when I lived in Vancouver. I mean, I like the rain, so I didn't mind the I didn't mind the fact that it was, you know, always sort of drizzly or whatever, but uh, but everything was wet and moldy and, you know, yeah, weird, weird stuff. All righty, enough geography for one day. So uh, let's dive into the fact check, Jonathan. Take it away. Woo, fact check. So episode nine, fact check, three minutes, 48 seconds. Uh, Tim was referring to the Star Trek episode, Tomorrow is Yesterday, episode 19 of Star Trek, the original series. Uh, the jet they destroyed was a U.S. Air Force F-104 interceptor, according to the good folks at Wikipedia, who have... Uh, have all these breakdowns of Star Trek episodes. Good to know. Nice. Mm-hmm. And uh, 5413 Elstree Studios is the name of the studio that is no longer uh, there, but it's where they shot the original Star Wars films uh, right, primarily. Right. Apparently, uh, Jabberwocky was filmed there too. There you go. And uh, Tim's point, 5343, uh, 53, Raj and Howard have an ersatz homosexual relationship, according to Leonard's mother, Beverly, played by uh, Christine Baranski. And that was in episode, uh, season two, episode 15, the maternal capacitance. Capacitance. How do you spell that? What's that word? Capacitance. Yeah, capacitance. Capacitance. All right. Good thing we have Jaime here. I'll check here. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe wrong. Looks all right. No, no. It's it's that's me. I should have read it first. But you know. Well, there you go. All right. So we have we have really no follow up this week. I I mean can't imagine why we wouldn't have any follow up. But there you have it. Follow up. Thor, go see it. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that in the after show. All right. So my my overall impression of these two episodes. We're gonna so spoilers for everybody. We're going to talk about Star Trek Discovery episode 8, I think. What episode are we up to? 8. 8, and uh, I think the Orville is now episode 8 as well, right? Because they missed a week, right? Yes? We're not sure. We're not yeah, sure. Like, that's a good question. We'll have to look it up. Real-time follow-up, we'll look it up. Yeah, you know what? I forgot to, to grab the name of the episode for... So we're just going to run over IMDb real quick and look up Star Trek Discovery. Oh, we can talk about um, Ranger Things now that I'm finished. You guys are finished, right? I'm not finished yet. Don't stop. Oh, you're not? Stop. Oh, okay. No, I had a bad week. I only got through two more episodes. I've still got three to go. Oh, okay. Well, I sat down and finished it last night, so let's see. Uh, yes, so Star Trek Discovery. We're going to be talking about uh, episode eight, which is something I'm going to butcher because it is Latin, Latin I think. Civis Pacem Parabellum. And right. for the Orville, we will be talking about also episode eight, Into the Fold. Into the Fold. Anyway, I've lost my notes here. Let me just paste this in here. For those of you driving at home. Yes, yeah, so we're, we're going to be talking about Star Trek Discovery first. Um, um, I yeah. did look up the title here because it's in, in oh, okay. and it means something like um, when at peace, prepare for war, I think. Mm, okay. I might have okay. that backwards. I'll have to look it up again because there's a lot of very similar sounding ones. Yeah, interesting that the the ship at the very beginning that they talk about was, was the, the ship gets attacked, right? If I'm not mistaken, at the very beginning, that was the Gagarin named after Yuri Gagarin from, he was the first man in space, if I'm not mistaken, first right? First man in space, you got it. That's right. And uh, yeah, I think uh, there other reference to six cloak ships, but there were six six ships that were cloaked by the uh, Klingons. Yes, right. The invisibility field. Right, yes. So. Yeah, they're is that what the big game was just like
like Star Trek Enterprise did with invisibility screens and, and, and stuff that's, I guess, to make people feel better that it's technically not a cloak like you would have seen for right, right. Uh, Balance of Terror, but I don't know. It's stealth technology of some sort. I'm kind of okay with that. Yeah, it's funny. The, ba- the Balance of Terror is when you're talking about where, where Kirk and Spock go onto the, the Romulan ship and steal the cloaking device. Is that the one you're talking about? That's correct. That episode? Yeah, that episode was actually on TV the other day, which is restrained, which is the has the Romulan command and female commander that tries to seduce Spock into uh, stealing the Enterprise and bringing it over to her. So very similar kind of plot to what we've been seeing in, in Discovery, right? But it was interesting that it was the Romulans that had the cloaking technology, not the Klingons initially, right? Did we see many Klingons in the first, like, did they, ha- they weren't really at war in, in the original series with the Klingons per se, right? They were more at war with the Romulans, right? If I'm not mistaken. The original series, they were just past the war with the Klingons. I think they were sort of in right. the, they, they were still hostile, but not directly in conflict. Yeah, they used to just have like, you know, trade disputes and, and stuff neutral like that, right? zone. Right, right. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So the Romulans were the ones that they seem to always sort of have, uh, have difficulties with, at least in the first series. I'm, I'm like 20 episodes in or so, right? Yeah, yeah. Apparently yeah. the translation, uh, I just looked it up. If you want peace, prepare for war. Mm. Oh, I see. There we go, there we go. Which definitely yeah. makes sense with the way that the episode sort of unfolds, right? Mm-hmm. So who wants to do the recap? I did it last week. Go ahead, knock yourself out. You want, to, you want to take this one? I, I actually have notes for the Orville, but not for Discovery. So I'm kind of going off of uh, just based memory here. All right. So uh, our episode opens with uh, the Discovery trying to come to the rescue of uh, another Starfleet ship, the Gagarin. that's being uh, attacked by a group of uh, Klingon ships. Uh, they do their best to try and ward off the attack, but are unsuccessful and uh, lose the Gagarin. And they realize that this uh, invisibility technology that the Klingons have is uh, proving to be quite the quite the vexing thing for them. They uh, decide that they're going to go to this planet to uh, try and figure out how to modify this natural electromagnetic and magnetic activity it has to try and detect these invisibility screens. And right. so they send uh, send Michael Burnham and Saru, the first officer, and uh, Ash, the security chief, down to the planet with the mission of uh, trying to find a way to adapt this uh, this natural resonance into a, a piece of technology that can help them. And while down on this planet called Pavo, they discover that there's actually a uh, some non-corporeal beings that live on this planet and uh, this leads to a really interesting first contact scenario where Saru sort of merges his mind with these creatures and uh, they, for lack of a better term, uh, brainwash him. And mm-hmm. So we get another sort of uh, classic Star Trek kind of adventure uh, alien planet and one of the crew is uh, not himself and we end up with Saru in conflict with uh, Ash and, and Burnham trying to uh, trying to prevent them from manipulating this technology, trying to keep them there and trying to sort of add them to the cult as it were. Right, right. And yeah. So they had this really strange unit of measure too called the kilometer or k- something k- like that? Kilometer, yeah. Kilometer? I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Yeah. Maybe maybe Jaime can explain <laughs> what that is. It's kind of like a mile, but you need more of them. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like a very accurate measurement of some kind. Is this no? <laughs> like like all yeah. things that humans measure, other than you know, I don't know. We based off of like the Planck constant. They're all uh, they're all arbitrary. So yeah, right. But they're divisible by ten, which is unlike you know other things that we can convenient, name. but no less arbitrary. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so what did well, you as guys? Long as you have a forearm or a, a, a stride, you know, you can always <laughs> measure things, right? So what did you guys think of the adventures on uh, Pavo this week? Uh, ho hum. Yeah, was kind of my first thought. Yeah, I mean, haven't we seen this plot a hundred times before? Yep. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I mean, I, I've never really had much confidence in Saru as a character. You know, I think he's he's obviously got some some issues, and and they come to light in this in this episode. I suppose that was. I mean, this episode and the and the next episode we're going to talk about of the Orville were, were to me were very sort of. I guess they're the kind of things that um, writers do to sort of extend characters or or try to get. Us to feel um, some sort of empathy for you know persons or 
relationships that they may have on the crew because they you know they isolate the three of these guys in this particular mission and uh you know Saru loses it in a sense here because he he um not that he allows himself to get um it's not through through his uh, a flaw in his character that he gets taken over it's just i guess they they just take advantage of of his particular species i guess and and take over his mind and you know convince him i mean the they being the non-corporeal beings that jonathan talks about who in fact say at one point that they are the planet as opposed to being on the planet mm-hmm. yeah interesting yeah sort of sort of that hive mind kind of concept like i guess it's similar to the borg as well in that sense too but um yeah i mean i could care less for this episode <laughs> you know um yeah that's that's all i have to say for this one well there was a good b plot though oh yeah the d plot yeah i wanted to talk about that one too yeah yeah why don't you fill us on that one so uh meanwhile in click on space meanwhile in Klingon space, uh, our uh, Admiral Cornwell plot picks up once again after being uh, unceremoniously left behind by uh, by the captain of the Discovery uh, two episodes ago. Um, we pick her up and she's in uh, she's being held captive by General Kor, uh, who is the now commander of the Klingon Allied Forces. And uh, in order to uh, ingratiate herself with Kor, Lorel returns, uh, who we we've seen most recently in the episode uh, where uh, Captain Lorca uh, and Ash escape from the Klingon torture ship. She is the torturer in question who may or may not have had a relationship with Ash who may or may not be a spoilers spy. Um, and so we find Laurel uh, in the role of torturer once again. She's supposed to interrogate Cornwell and try and get her to spill the beans on what the discovery secrets are and how to you know replicate what technology it has. And instead, we get this interesting twist where Laurel uh, confesses that she actually wants to defect to the Starfleet side and uh, tries to help Admiral Cornwell escape. To which I say, really? Yeah, what do you guys really? think? Is that, a, is that a ruse? Is she just trying to... Because uh, she, she very directly says, take me to the Discovery. Yeah, that's true. And and I mean, yes, a couple of things about that. One is, I kind of wonder, though, because of the way it ended, she had to actually... It looked like she killed... Uh, Cornwall, which we're Cornwall, which we're not really sure that she's done that uh, by the end of the show, because um, she has to sort of prove to the, the general core that she's still, you know, a proper Klingon in that sense. But one thing, one thing I sort of read between the lines, and that has to do with the sort of the the um, knowledge of of the setup of the whole thing. As as we were finding out about the show before it hit the air, uh, the the lady who plays Laurel, I'm sorry, I don't have her name in my hand, but um, she was sort of introduced as a as a sort of main actor in the series. Right, so I kind of wonder if we're going to see her actually defect and actually become part of the crew of the Discovery. Maybe a first Klingon Starfleet officer kind of thing, or Starfleet, you know, uh, person, right? Because I kind of wondered why they why they made the emphasis on introducing her as an actress in this series. So you know, um, mind you, these days, I mean, you never know. Like they they, they knock characters off all the time in in, in shows, right? In completely random uh, ways, like by killed by a giant uh, monster kitty cat in the yeah yeah exactly. In a moment's notice, yeah, yeah. Without, without without any sort of unceremoniously, as it were, right? Yeah. So I, and I guess that sort of I don't know makes it the, the, the plot seem more realistic, quote unquote, in a fictitious future you know universe. Um, so the, I mean, so the, from the point of view of how they introduce this this lady who plays the character, and we'll have to look her up her name up, but you know of Laurel, Mary kinda, as soon as, Shifo, Mary Shifo. So as soon as I saw um, her say, "I want to defect," I mean, I I, I didn't really I, like, unlike you guys, I kind of I kind of believed her that she did want to defect because um, it made sense considering that you know they the core has chased away her uh, or sent away her her uh, the guy who was taking over for um oh man now their name's Takuvma Takuvma yeah the the, the quote unquote Volk yes Volk yeah he gets he gets sort of sent away off uh, I don't know if Volk is out of the picture or not or or I didn't really co- didn't catch that in the I in have the plot. a theory you have a theory anyway, and, <laughs> and of course the ship, the ship of the dead comes back and the ship of the dead actually comes back in the end of the end of the show as well but I believe but um because they've resurrected the sarcophagus ship or whatever they call it um, um so I mean I don't know I mean it's plausible or or was that just a way of of breaking down uh Cornwall to to have her be a little bit more open and then I think uh, Laurel was actually surprised that Cornwall wasn't actually from the um the discovery I don't know if you guys caught that or not but uh, you know in, in their exchange when they're talking to each other she kind 
kind of goes, well, you're from the Discovery, aren't you? That's where you came from. And only to find that she's not really, right? Yeah. I think this episode was uh, sort of keyed upon confusion. So one, it was, a, it was a little bit confusing or at least not 100% clear what was going on with Saru. Um, they certainly make it seem like he's been taken over by the Povins early in the episode. But then in the tail end of the episode, when he has this discussion with Michael Burnham, it certainly seems like while they may have influenced him, it was still ultimately his choice to be like, oh man, like this is a rare opportunity for me to live at peace when uh, my entire life and even biologically I, I live in fear all the time and now I have final respite right, from right. that. And then also confusion with what is Laurel's you know, actual motive and what she's actually trying to do. Um, I mean, she clearly doesn't like being under uh, coal, uh, a place to go buy stuff. Um, coal <laughs> is, is uh, he's Klingon, but he's, he's is in uh, contrast to, to Vogue that she's, uh, you know, rallying behind and who, who she helped earlier. And so I, I think the way I've parsed it in my head is she um, is a what, double, triple agent here. I'm not really sure how many agents, but she's definitely not on the side of the Federation. So the defection part wasn't really true. I think it was more of a ruse to get onto the Discovery and maybe steal its technology or do whatever, but not mm. to, to take back to Cole, but to take it back to Voke and use that to uh, unify the Klingon Empire or at least uh, hang out yeah. with him, right? So uh, I think all of that sort of like fell apart uh, given the way that, that things happened in this episode for her. Um, I think she legitimately did want to blow up the ship and, and kill Cole, you know, while she escapes with uh, the Admiral. Um, things went awry. So she, again, with the confusion, she may or may not have killed the Admiral. It's a little unclear if she did because uh, normally, uh, as you guys, you know, talked about, Discovery doesn't shy away from showing us that people are definitively dead. And in this case, it, right, it's yeah. more like maybe she got knocked out, you know, like we, like we might have seen another uh, Star Trek uh, episode. So uh, I think that's what the mid-season uh, finale break episode will probably uncover for us. Yeah, interesting uh, setup for the for the mid-season finale next week. You know, we, we end the episode with uh, the, the Pavans trying to send a signal out to try and unify the Klingons and the, and the Starfleet to try and make sure that they can get along. And uh, of course, they end up drawing a Klingon armada towards the Discovery. Uh, it seems like we're set up for a big, big bang up the beginning of next week's episode. Right, right. Well, Jane Brooke was on After Trek as well, and they, they didn't sort of say anything revealing about whether she was going to be continuing on the show or not, right? So, hmm. yeah, so it was interesting. They, you know, usually when, uh, like in the case of, um, you know, Talking Dead and shows like that, they normally have the person who's been eliminated on the show to talk about how, what a wonderful experience it was in, you know, earth changing or changing and unlike any other experience I've ever had before. But she wasn't like that. She was um, still being very participatory in terms of how she was talking about the show. So um, reading between the lines, I think she's still around. I mean, because I mean, they didn't quite, like you said, they didn't display her as being, you know, there wasn't bl- a big pool of blood or whatever. She's just been knocked unconscious, if, if anything, or maybe electrocuted, right? So, yeah. well, she'll be back, I think. Um, but, I, and I think that this whole defection thing, um, I think that's going to, something like that's going to happen, right? I think that that's sort of what I, how I read into that, what happened in the episode is that, that um, it will follow through on that plot. Um, she's definitely, and I think that there's going to have to be this um, antagonistic relationship between Cole and, uh, is it Cole or Core? You Cole. Guys I, I just looked it up. It's Cole. I had that wrong. Yeah. It's Cole. Yeah. So I had spelled it Cole on the, the notes here too. Yep. So between Cole and Laurel and, and uh, how they, how they, how Voke was treated. Um, so yeah, interesting. But I mean, and then coming back to the, the, the other, the main plot of the show, which was this, the, the blue guys taking over um, and, and giving um, uh, Saru his piece. It's interesting, interesting though. I kind of wondered what the whole point of that flashback was with, with um, um, Saru, where he kind of sort of saw everything, you know, his his little things on the back of his neck going up and uh, tendrils, I think they call them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he get those go, they, they kind of expand whenever he gets alarmed about things. Um, yeah, so, yeah, interesting. I mean, like, you know, it's kind of, I think this is just sort of, I, I think when I, men- when I mentioned a few weeks ago that I had heard that they were going to do nine shows before the break instead of eight, or no, actually, is that right? Because this is the tenth episode. No, sorry, no. this is eight. Yeah. eight episode. We're ten. We're ten. They're eight. Okay. I'm back on, I'm back on planet Earth. Anyway, they, um, they kind of said that they had figured out a way to extend the plot and uh, may- maybe the um, the way they did that was with the uh, the Harry Mudd episode last week because I kind of didn't extend the story much did it you know other than other than um, uh, our buddy his name Ash uh, Anthony Rapp's character oh yeah Stamets he has Stamets. to freak out Stamets he has a sort of freak out and, and confide
hides in um in Tilly that uh or she she forces out of him that that uh, maybe he ought to, he needs an ally in, in this whole sort of thing right because he's now got his his partner into a catch twenty two position as well which is another third I guess the third subplot in this it's story the C plot uh, this week yeah the C plot that uh, that uh, Stamets is not you know coming out of this whole relationship with the um the spores or drive unscathed right so yeah. and that it's going to affect could affect his partner's relationship who is in fact the ship's doctor right yeah um yeah so interesting yeah. little moment there where he looks over at Tilly and says captain yeah right <laughs> right it's, yeah yeah you gotta yeah, wonder yeah. is he seeing something yeah yeah flashing exactly. forward is he seeing a different reality is he is he just yeah no, I, I think it was definitely a flash forward to something in the future right so yeah I'd like to I see Captain Tilly I like her yeah yeah well she's um, she's a, a, an odd duck right in this in this whole sense right yeah. mm-hmm. anyway so that's the uh, Star Trek Discovery this week what is, so overall what did you think I mean I've already given my opinion of it yeah I think it was a setup episode just like the other one was more of a setup episode although um, I think that one was probably a little bit more fun just because of um, you know the time loop bit and you know, Rain Wilson is Harry Mudd and this one was it's kind of weird because this one was kind of a more Star Trekky episode than most of Discovery's episodes are normally, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, considered. Uh, this is uh, definitely a, a very Star Trek kind of episode where they go to a mysterious planet, they encounter a mysterious, you know, life force. You know, bad things happen. You know, they get taken over by something. Um, I don't know. It's it, true. It, it, you it know, was an alright episode. You know, I, I I definitely think it probably benefits a bit from the opening part, which is like it just starts with a bang when they have the, yep. the Discovery facing off against the Klingons and using the Discovery right. itself as like a well not a human shield a, a spaceship shield to try to cover the other ship and try to protect it from the torpedoes like that was kind of a cool thing we don't normally right right oh yeah 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 you're right from that perspective i mean like when i was thinking about the the original series was more about exploring you know sort of voyaging out and they had a lot more away missions you know almost an away mission for every show almost right well they were explorers right you know yeah, that was, yeah. That's they were the, the frontier they were on the frontier as it were right yeah where these guys you know again they're in a state of war so you get a little bit more more, yeah, a little, little less of that. Let's go see what this planet has to offer. Although, shout outs right. to the uh, the designers for the crystalline trees. Those were very cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It had yeah. a very sort of retro mm-hmm. Trek kind of feel to it. It's true, it's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was a good episode. I mean, uh, you know, it, you're right. It didn't advance things terribly and it probably wasn't as strong as last week's episode with the return of Harry Mudd in the time loop. But right, right, I yeah. think as far as teeing things up, clearly setting the stage for, you know, some, some bigger things to happen in the finale, I, I think for a penultimate ultimate uh, episode not bad yeah and well we didn't really sort of talk about the the end of the show maybe we can just leave that for next week but uh, the fact that it does set up that you know there's, there's now a, a situation that we have to look forward to next week that you know there's where the Klingons and the, the um, Federation are going to get together and have a have it out as it were yeah, yeah. as the Pavans try to patch things up between them right so yeah <laughs> all right so let's uh, should we move on to the Orville yeah sure so I mean I just had a couple notes here about the Orville was was one that the the ship identifier you see it in this episode the very beginning ECV 197 no idea what that means but there it is um enterprise 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 class vehicle i don't know <laughs> um and just uh just the, the the one joke in the entire show was was uh that uh at one point they're listening to Barry Manilow on the on the hi-fi system as they're working on the engine drive or the navigation system and uh Seth McCarlin just comments on the fact that you know Manilow was a genius so clearly uh several mil- several years into the future you know Barry Manilow will be the Beethoven or the Bach of of, the, of that generation, I guess, right? Yeah. Well, there was there was one <laughs> other joke in there that uh, was was perhaps the most graphic joke they've done so far. Oh, really? Yeah. Which is that? Uh, well, they made a glory hole joke. Oh, the glory hole. Yeah. For the spatial rift, right? The spatial rift. They they call it the glory hole, which I mean, right? You know, it's a little subversive, but but that's 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 pushing the envelope. You never you never heard the term glory hole come up in a Star Trek episode before. No, no, right, <laughs> right. And, and even you know, Captain Mercer is like, nobody calls it that. You tried calling it that. You tried making it big. It's not a thing. Right. But overall, you're right. It was it was a like it was a surprisingly low fun episode. I think we were supposed to get more from the interaction between uh, between Doctor Finn and um, Isaac, Isaac, yeah, and the kids, yeah. and the kids, and, and there was a couple of little, you know, the way he tries to sort of Isaac tries to figure out the kids. So you know, they go down to the planet. Uh, they, they're going their their way to their space vacation. They take Isaac along because uh, Lamar can't take them. So they end up encountering this 
spatial rift and landing, crash landing on this planet where they're being attacked by, for lack of a better word, apocalyptic survivors. Mm -hmm. And uh, they go down to this planet and the doctor becomes separated from her children, Ty and Marcus, and they're stuck with Isaac, who uh, lacks basic empathy and (laughs) any kind of parental instinct at all. And uh, so it's about this sort of mismatch of these two kids who are, you know, hurt and missing their mom, paired up with Isaac, who is trying to figure out how to sort of complete his mission and get them out of there, but trying to also keep the two of them alive. And meanwhile, the doctor is trying to figure out how to survive after being captured by one of these uh, apocalyptic warriors. So yeah, now was was that guy uh, a benefactor in a sense? Like he was trying to keep her safe, it seemed, or was he just like well, fattening, fattening her up or whatever? I, yeah, I got the vibe that there was a little sort of uh, kidnappy kind of you're going to be my bride here in my tower because he's he locks her up in the tower yeah. and says I'm here I've got all the weapons I've got food I'm here I think he was like you're going to be my space girlfriend now or something right right mm. yeah it, it definitely is not you know 100% clear cut that he's not um, you know 100% good and or 100% bad just sort of a weirdo sort of creepy guy with sort of ambiguous sort of desires here that are never really expounded upon um, yeah and I think that's part of the way the plot falls down is is you never really get a sense of what kind of danger is going on like we know these people are desperate and there's they establish that there's like a plague and and no food yeah no food but then you never really understand what this guy's motivations are and yeah it's it's kind of a weird uh non-conclusion i don't know it it never really has that sense of dread you kind of want from those moments of like what's going to happen to the doc like i never really feel right right yeah he's got that sort of dark brooding temperament but you never but he but to me it's like he seems to be well he's feeding her he's giving her a place to stay he's protecting her from you know the evil people out in the world you know but you know yeah. and the the, you know. the actor there for uh for our bad guy whose name is drogan is uh brian thompson brian thompson mm-hmm. was uh well he's he's from washington state Jaime. uh Ooh, didn't know that one. he was uh he was on he's he's played big guys with masks on in a whole bunch of series including he was on enterprise uh he was on x-files and he was on buffy the vampire slayer and a couple of different characters uh, mm-hmm. face nine so this is you know another you hear as soon as you hear his voice you're like i know that guy i know that guy really yeah yeah for sure as soon as, as, soon as he opened his mouth i was like is that guy and i had to look up because i couldn't remember his name because he has a just a very sort of ordinary north american name but uh but instantly recognizable with that deep deep voice and that sort of big burly physique but uh yeah again i just i felt like you know not not for his lack of being menacing but it just didn't have uh, a lot of resonance for me and neither did the interaction between isaac and the kids like i I guess there was supposed to be some humanity to it isaac's trying to sort of come to grips with how to deal with children and stuff but it wasn't funny nor was it particularly emotional i don't know what do you guys think yeah yeah well i mean it's kind of it's kind of like we've we've so far we've seen that the orville has had the better plots and the better sort of um yeah maybe till this week yeah and and this this is sort of the i mean again another one of these episodes where they they take the doctor out of her element and and try and put her try and create some some character exposition around her but you know i kind of came away from it going i care less for her now than i did even yeah i mean i didn't care much for her to begin with and i'm not really sure there and then isaac while he you know he could be the foil of a lot of different things and you know because he's the odd guy with super intellect you know um and he just ends up mimicking her her uh her parenting style which isn't much of a style um and uh yeah i mean it's it's just an, an odd uh kind of i i guess you know and at the very end of it when he sort of says your kids are, are you know horribly behaved and awful people but hey i love them you know like like what he's more human now because of this i don't get it yeah. yeah i mean but didn't he do some of the things that parents want to do like you know there's that little like video game thing that the older son has and, <laughs> and fighting he he throws it and yeah. shoots it out of the sky right it's like oh look it's not a problem right, anymore right. yeah um, right <laughs> so i guess maybe i wasn't quite as uh harsh on this one as as y'all i mean it wasn't like my favorite episode um i think i maybe enjoyed it a little bit more because you know i saw parallels here with um the terminator franchise mm, yeah maybe so let me read um let me read a short passage here really short from terminator 2 this is sarah connor saying <clears throat> watching john with the machine it was suddenly so clear the terminator would never stop it would never leave him and would never hurt him never shouted him or get drunk and hit him or say it was too busy to spend time with him it would always be there and it would die to protect him of all the would-be fathers who came and went over the years this thing this machine was the only one who measured up in an insane world it was the sanest choice mm-hmm. that's that's kind of what came to my mind because they they 
set up uh, maybe not quite as well that the doctor was a single mother, but it seems like out of choice. Um, it didn't seem like, you know, there was like some father hanging around like doing nothing. It would seem more like, oh yeah, you know, we've got the technology. You want to be a parent? Fantastic. Go be a parent. Um, and Isaac being in sort of his uh, commander data analog, uh, but, you know, racist data, right? Like at the beginning yeah. of the episode, he says like, oh, it's, it's, it's a fact that we're better than you. <laughs> so I'm objectively right. better than you in every way. Uh, but he doesn't understand how to deal with children, right? He mimics some of what the doctor does and uh, does some things effectively. Like, oh, you got to dislocate a knee. Guess what? Or the knee? Yeah, I think it was the knee. Yeah, yeah. yeah dislocate a knee. Guess what? You know, it's like pulling a Band-Aid off right away. Don't even stop. Just move it right back into place and you're fixed. Um, oh, you need me to uh, read this story? Okay, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a lame story because I don't understand how that works. And when you, you ask for something better, it's like, okay, well, I found Peter Rabbit in my data files and I actually have the capability of, of saying it in your mom's voice, but that's really what you want. So yeah, I got some real uh, Terminator 2 Arnie vibes from it. Now, I think the issue I had with the episode is that, uh, yeah, and maybe this was the opportunity they wanted to try and develop these characters a little bit, but uh, it, it's got to be awfully hard for Mark Jackson playing Isaac as somebody who, without a face who can't emote. Uh, the kids were not particularly likable, and I'm not a huge fan of Penny Johnson Gerald, who plays Dr. Finn, either. So I didn't find myself investing. Like, I just didn't feel yeah, yeah. strongly about this. I, and again, I think the show's tone has established itself. I never, it was, it's not like Discoverer. I'm thinking like one of these kids is going to buy it. I, I, I just never really felt, like, I felt like this was like a standard Star Trek plot line and I knew where it was going to go and it went exactly where I thought it was going to go. And yeah, yeah. I, yeah and, and, and in non-Orville fashion, it, it just wasn't funny enough. It, at least when they did last week's episode with the social media, at least it was funny, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I think I think that's what it was missing is it wasn't funny enough to be a great Orville episode and it wasn't smart enough to be a great Trek episode. Right, they right. didn't cast it well enough for me to at least enjoy the performances. So I kind of, it just the whole thing kind of just left me a little cold. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm just looking at some of the reviews here on, on uh, IMDb and that's generally the, the impression. I mean, a couple of people liked it, um, but most of them are kind of like, you know, saying I wasted 40 minutes and, um, you know, one out of 10, like the, the ratings in, in on DAB are out of 10 and a lot of them are like one star out of 10. <laughs> uh, yeah, so pretty pretty uh, pretty brutally uh, yeah, rated. It, it felt like one of those classic uh, we've got 20 episodes this season, we'll do seven great ones, seven okay ones and seven toss away ones. This felt like one of those, yeah. you know, like we'll just try and do this. It'll establish the Doctor. It'll establish the Isaac a little bit. We'll try and get, you know, get right. these actors some, some screen time, it, it, but it just didn't resonate. But my question is like, will we ever see these kids again? Like that's the other part. Like where was the investment in the two kids, except for the young kid being all huggy and stuff? Yeah, you know? I hope not. They were not strong characters. No, no. Yeah, I don't think you want to have them become like the Wesley Crushers or the uh, Borg children uh, on this show. I think it's it's fine to... Borg children? Do you remember Ichev and... Um, yeah. I can't remember the rest of them. That's how memorable they were from Voyager. Yeah, the last couple seasons of Voyager. Were they like teenager kids or yeah. something like that? Or mm, One of them was. I, I think the others were a little younger, like yeah, younger, teen, yeah, yeah. probably. Yeah, yeah. How old? Preteen, like tween era. Oh, like but nine, they were born. Nine to 12, probably for, for what, two, three, three out of the four. And then one was clearly a teenager. Well, I'll have to go back to those and, and watch them again. I, I think completely missed those episodes. But uh, yeah, because there was that one hero, uh, one kid, uh, Borg, he was like a teenager Borg. Um, Each episode was his generation. name. That was the only one that comes to mind. Yeah. Right. Okay. Anyway. So we've we've had, uh, this was eight episodes now of, of the Orville. We've had a chance to sort of establish ourselves and we've kind of seen a highlight episode for most of the characters at this point. We really haven't spent too much, right. enough time, I think, with Kelly Grayson, the first officer. We've, we've had the Ed Mercer episode, um, the episode where he went, he and Gordon went off to the Krobe Q. Well, there was the zoo episode where, I mean, the... Yeah, that's true. I guess great. I guess we did get yeah. her and and Mercer there. Right, yeah. And he and the and in the first episode too, right? There's a bit of them in that one. And we got Bordis. Bordis got his episode where he and his husband are trying to, you know, figure out the complexities of their single gender baby. Um, we got the John Lamar episode last week. So I guess we're looking for Alara now, right? Well, that's we haven't seen a full Alara episode. She's gotten a couple little tastes, but she really hasn't gotten her own thing. So maybe that's coming up soon. So this felt like it was I guess it was the Doctor and Isaac's turn to sort of get some spotlight time to try and, you know, put put them front and center. And yeah, again, it just feels like of the main cast, these, you know, we've only had a few characters we haven't really gotten into. And uh, and, and I'd like to see more of Seth MacFarlane and Adrian Palicki, please. Right, right. <laughs> and Scott Grimes, well, maybe just, as, as Malloy is just, the, you know, he gets all the best lines yeah, and has yeah. clearly enjoying himself playing that part. Yeah, I mean, uh, and this was a low budget episode for the, I was thinking like, 
like, you know, about in terms of how much money they must be spending on these episodes to build them. Um, again, another one where they kind of just went down to an Earth-like planet, yep. you know, which which is kind of a cheap, uh, yep. right, not cheap, but inexpensive way to, uh, to deal with character exposition and stuff like that, right? So, yep. boring. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got voted down this week, Jaime, sorry. Yeah, no, that's cool. I mean, people can like... Yeah, 60% of us who surveyed. <laughs> Six, <laughs> you said 66, two thirds of the, of the people we've surveyed um, yeah. <laughs> agree that that is a, a no on this episode. That's that's cool. That's that's okay. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you heard more than just code, but Jaime pulled that on me last week, right? <laughs> right. Two out of three. <laughs> two out of three, out of three people. coders agree. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. We're rapidly running out of time on these um, these episodes. I'm looking at the Orville. They're only slated for 13 episodes um, for this season. They sure it says 14 on IMDb. Oh, really? Okay. Um, that, that's entirely possible, but nevertheless, uh, n- not many left considering that Cupid's Dagger yeah. number nine is is coming up soon. And then, of course, we have the mid-season finale for Discovery, and even that was going to be only, what, 13 episodes total for the season? Right, right. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll catch up. We can do uh, catch up and do our Stranger Things uh, recap and our Walking Dead recap. And uh, Right, right, yeah. Oh, man, that was boring last week, Walking Dead. But anyway, um, 13, you're right, 13 episodes for the Orville, according to IMDb. The, uh, the next episode is called Firestorm. Number 11 hasn't got a title in 12 and... Next episode's Cupid's Dagger, then Firestorm. Oh, sorry, Firestorm. Yeah, Firestorm's next after that. I'm sorry. My bad. Yeah, so... Crew sets out to save Dr. Finn, her two sons, and Isaac after the shuttle gets thrown into uncharted space. Oh, well. <laughs> and in the opinion of at least two critics, it could have been left there. Yeah. <laughs> and a bunch of people on a uh, bunch of people on uh, IMDb's uh, website didn't like it either. So to now, can we talk about Barry Manilow? No. Yeah. <laughs> it's about time we somebody actually put together a Barry Manilow fan podcast. Well, did you know that, that Barry Manilow wrote the Dr. Pepper song? I did not know that. See, I'm a pepper, you're a pepper. Would you like to be a pepper too? Too. That's Barry Manilow. And he also wrote um, some of the early Pepsi commercials and a bunch of McDonald's ones. I think the You Deserve a Break Today, I think that was him as well. Hmm. Yeah, so he had a whole career writing. Well, let's go look at the Wikipedia page. Jingles. So now I'm starting to think, does he have uh, Kit Kats Give Me a Break? Because it seems like it's similarly themed. Oh, yeah, oh, I don't know. He, he, you're right. On his Wikipedia page, here you go. Jingle Rhymer wrote The Good Neighbor, Like a Good Neighbor, State Farm is there. State he Farm wrote The I'm, I'm Stuck on Band-Aid because Band-Aid's stuck on me. Really? Kentucky Where Chicken, Pepsi, Dr. Pepper. Is it on his page or on Wikipedia? I'm looking at his wiki page. It's down oh, in the career section in the 1960s. Right. Oh, in the 60s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I happen to remember that because my sisters had a double-fold album by him. <laughs> and and he, in the middle of it, he did a medley of his of his uh, TV commercials. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. In between I Write the Songs and Coca Cabana, I guess, right? Oh, God. I can't believe I just put that earworm in my head. <laughs> 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 Talk about Jabberwocky real quick. Yeah. Did you get the Blu-ray yet? <laughs> no, is it out already? Yeah, I think it came out last week. Oh, okay. It's going to be on my list, you know. Oh, you know. Well, I'll just, uh, yeah, I'll start my Christmas shopping early. Sure, sure. Oh, speaking of, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, what else can we talk about for the next 20 minutes or so? I guess we could talk about the pick that somebody put on here. I, I put on two picks. Two picks. Oh, two picks. I don't know if uh, Jaime's got any for this week as well, or? You have a pick there, Jaime? Something you want to see? Something you don't want to see? You know, <laughs> it's so weird. So the continuing drama around um, uh, Blade runner so <laughs> oh so, no we didn't see God. any one of the blade runners uh this this weekend have you seen firefly at least i mean i've seen firefly but in this case it turns out to be and you've seen red dwarf right you've seen red no dwarf? i never actually did see red what? Dwarf. oh man this podcast is over <laughs> is there a required reading list on this uh podcast yeah exactly exactly well it's like it's funny because tammy never seen firefly and so when i went to see her in tennessee a couple of years ago i actually went to the walmart or whatever and i bought a copy of firefly on dvd and handed it to her and she still hasn't watched it <laughs> come on it's Man. on netflix i mean it's right there. i know <laughs> and, uh, and amazon has serenity so you know yeah there's no excuse anyway sorry sorry Jaime. tell us about uh, your your trials and tribulations or tribbles with uh with Blade runner 2049 so i was finally able to obtain a copy of the final cut from oh, a friend there you go. Yeah. that's great and then the fiance decided she wasn't in the mood for that and we ended up watching baby driver <laughs> A, uh, oh, a decent flick, good. you know, it's, it's pretty good. Uh, yeah, you redeemed yourself. Yeah, definitely not sci-fi though. 
<laughs> yeah, well, it's got the love story in there. It's got the it's got the the, the factor for her, I guess. Right? It's definitely got what some cool action it? in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we saw that in the big theater with the with the grandson who's big into driving games, right? So it was right up his alley, right? Yeah, he that, until he saw well, that, that might want to might have slid down to third on his list because he said Blade Runner was the best movie he saw this year, right? Right. Dunkirk and then Baby Driver. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll have to introduce him to Shaun of the Dead soon. Yeah, I've I've had it on my to do list, but I I don't want to scare the bejesus out of my twelve year old, so I thought. Uh, maybe I'll wait till I have a yeah, night where it's yeah. just the two of us hanging out watching movies. Yeah. Well, Foster, when he's over here, he just, sorry, the 12 year old, when he's over here, he just, he won't watch that kind of stuff either. Like he just like leaves the room. So yeah, he's, he's not so much into the violence and gore. He, he doesn't like that stuff at all. Xavier, he's been, he wants to watch uh, the Kevin Smith catalog. I've been putting that off. Right, right. <laughs> he wants to push into, uh, yeah, he wants to watch the rest of the Matrix films. I told him quit while he's ahead. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I agree. There's a whole list. Uh, he wants to push into the the modern bond movies and I, I i'm not i'm i'm waffling about that one i haven't i let him watch the pierce brosnan's but i haven't let him watch the uh the new ones they, they just i don't know i feel like they're maybe just a little bit too mature for him gratuitous yeah yeah, yeah the, the testicular torture in the first uh daniel craig movie i don't know that's right right that's yeah, a bridge yeah, to forgot. cross you know yeah i forgot about that one yeah i assume he'll just go see it over at your place at some point and it'll all be good uh, i don't have, I won't, have to, I, I won't have to feel guilty about showing it to him just, oh no oh i saw it with grandpa <laughs> Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I, be- I have much better plans for him than that. Yeah. You know? we'll, be, we'll, well, that's, be that's how we saw Blade Runner. That's how we saw The Matrix. He's just like, oh, we saw this great movie this weekend. It's called The Matrix. I'm like, oh, jeez. <laughs> Don't tell your mother it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Oh, back to the 2049 there. I mean, sorry. <laughs> so my my hopeful plan, now that I actually have a copy of the final cut, is to at least watch that and maybe squeeze in 2049 as well. But at this point, I think it will probably have to be a um, bargain bargain. Uh, Bargain theater. I figure like the dollar theater. I don't know if they have those in Canada. Uh, okay. Like right. the, yeah, the yeah. second run sort of things. Oh, yeah. Like the premiere. Yeah, they have those. But oh, it's a big screen movie. You got to see it on a big screen. Yeah, which is why I think yeah. seeing it in the, in the bargain theaters is probably better than waiting for DVD or Netflix yeah. or something. Yeah. I took the elevator up uh, my building at work this week. And two gentlemen who were working on the uh, and the custodial staff were talking about Blade Runner 2049. And the one said, have you seen it? And the other guy said, no. I haven't gotten out to see it. And the other guy said, don't, it's three hours long. And I feel like I wasted oh, my life. Really? Wow. I was hmm. just biting a hole through my tongue. You know, I just thought, oh, I guess we're all entitled to our opinions. This guy feels like it wasn't his cup of tea. But uh, yeah, I was, was a little disheartened to hear that there was the reaction to this fella had felt like he'd gotten robbed of his three bucks. So or his 15 wow. bucks for three hours. Yeah. Well, you know, he's in the eye of the beholder, I guess. I guess. I guess. Again, he he's probably more right than us because this movie, as we established last week, is, is clearly a flop. It's not going to make anywhere close to its money back. Really? Yeah. So, mm. yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Now, yeah, do, again, is it, that's too bad. They made it for me anyway. I don't care what anybody else thinks. So, yeah, yeah. it's still there. It can't be unmade. Um, yeah. It does make me wonder about the prequel they were talking about. Is that probably canned uh, or shelved I like a Netflix series or something? Them investing after, after as much money as they spent on this. Yeah. I can't imagine them coming back and doing another one, at least until they have had enough time to forget. Maybe 35 years from now maybe they'll come back and do well, part three they did they did leave a few loose ends i don't want to give too much away for jaime but they did they did leave a few loose ends that they could explore in a tv spinoff or whatever i you know, yeah i still think this would be the battle for the best, Runner this would be the best 10 episode season on netflix ever if, if you could do like you don't even need that high production value it's just mood it's tone right you could do right, this world yeah, yeah. so easily but again it's it's that same sort of thing like you know i've always sort of been a fan of terry gilliam and uh, while his movies are are amazing from a from a you know um, theater arts point of view, right? Like you know artistic and sound and production, all that kind of stuff. They're not big sellers. I mean, nope. in fact, his last movie, Zero Theorem. The only reason I saw it in the theater was because somebody in Canada decided to run it for one night only. Yeah, you know, it was actually going to go straight to straight to video, and and it's a great. I mean, I have the DVD and you bought it and whatever or Blu-ray, I guess it is. Yep. Um, and Tideland, the one before Tideland, was like a real stretch you know um i mean jeff bridges is great in that one surprisingly 
But uh, yeah, that was a real stretch of a stretch of a story, right? But um, interesting though. But but like you know, so I guess Blade Runner is sort of it's sort of out there on on the the fringes. I mean, Arrival, if you think about it, Arrival was sort of a fringe movie too. It was more it was more suited towards the Toronto Film Festival and that kind of stuff than it would be mainstream theater. But here it was like nominated for an Academy Award. Who knows, right? Well, and that's my hope for this picture. My hope is that as we start creeping towards award season, which is just around the corner, as we start seeing you know people start talking about the Oscars and Golden Globes and all this stuff. Right, right. I, I, I'm kind of hopeful. I will say, you know, I, I don't think it's been a particularly banner year for films. Uh, right. You know, outside of Dunkirk and of course there's movies coming. Steven Spielberg's new movie Post is coming. Uh, the Post is coming out. You know, there will be some Oscar fare coming out over the next few months. But I don't think this is a particularly memorable film year. I don't think Blade Runner is going to garner like a best picture, but I could see it getting cinematography, right, visual yeah. arts, maybe a director mm-hmm. nod, you like know, costumes like and special effects. That's yeah, what I mean. Yeah, like I, I think it could be a sneaky one in the same way that Arrival was two years ago or two years ago last year. Uh, I, I think it could sneak in there and, and get a few nominations in, in an otherwise, you know, kind of slumpy movie year. And maybe that rekindles the interest and people want to have a second look. Right, right. Hmm. I didn't see Arrival until, until after it was nominated. And I kind of regret oh, really? not seeing that in the theater. Oh, yeah. So I, I went to see that one by myself at a VIP, right? So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that was, again, I always sort of look at the movies that are at the Toronto Film Festival. I have never been able to get a ticket since like 1979 is the last time I went to the, the film festival and actually got a ticket. So it's like super hard to get tickets for that these days, right? Um, but um, I mean, unless you're willing to go stand in a line and see whatever, but I'm not. Um, but I always notice the films that are there and then those are the ones that generally sort of tend to go legs. Like, you know, there's the um, uh, McDormand film, uh, I forget the, name, the post, the one about the billboards. Um, what else was at the film festival this year? It looked interesting. Well, the hit movie was at film festival. I wanted to see well, that. Yeah, yeah, long time yeah, running. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We saw that on TV the other day, didn't we? Yeah, yeah the yeah. CTV bought the the TV rights. So right, yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So we'll have to see. You know, theater going is is kind of becoming a, a thing that's not really. I mean, like, well, I mean, you were at Thor. I mean, like, I assume it was sold out or it was very close to sold out or what was your? Yeah, yeah. I would say it was probably. I mean, it's hard to say with these things too because they obviously first night they put it. In the big theater and they you know on that kind of screen not everybody wants to sit right down the front but yeah i, I think i think it was pretty darn full right and I, I must admit i haven't looked up the box office on it yet but i mean every review i read was positive everybody said like it's you know again like what, what we were talking about off the top it's it's perfect popcorn fare if you want to go and forget about what's going on in the world right for a little couple hours have some laughs eat some popcorn and watch chris hemsworth beat the tar out of you know bad guys it is perfect uh well it's like you were you're in I mean, we're saying the, about the uh, Pacific Rim yep. series movies. They're just they're just about like yeah, watching stuff blow up real good, right? Yep, that's exactly mm-hmm. what. It is. Although I will say again, the the thing that they've done well in the Marvel movies is they've been able to mix in genres, right? The Spider-Man movie they did this summer was a high school movie, and Captain America's um, Winter Soldier was a spy movie. This right. is a flat out comedy. It is funny. Like there are probably like you know in two hours, there's probably a laugh every two minutes, like a laugh out loud laugh. Like it was. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. funny. I know they had sort of built it as we're going somewhere else, but it, it was flat out funny. Now, it, it, I did find it just like a scotch disrespectful to the material at, at times because it just was so going for the laughs. But at the same time, it was undeniably entertaining. Well, I'm just looking at the Flickster results here for, for movies from this weekend. And um, Thor did $123 million. Bad Mums did $17 million. I guess that was Bad Mums Christmas, right? Yeah. Um, Jigsaw is still going strong with six points. How long Jigsaw has been out for a few weeks right now already, right? Weeks, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's like the third in third place. Tyler Perry seems to be doing pretty well with four point seven million. I'm not sure when that one started. Yeah, that was a few movie. weeks ago too. That that one, uh, yeah, the movie that started as a joke. That's funny. Yeah, and Geostorm, oh, Happy God. Death Day, and Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Still going a bit strong. I mean, a couple of million each, right? So yeah, it's funny when you look at a couple of million dollars and you think, oh, that's not very good. <laughs> well, again, it depends on what you invest in. Geostorm is apparently extremely expensive to make. It was in yeah. for years and. 
Really? Oh yeah. Like oh, that, this is one of my favorite stories from this year. Is this is this film Geostorm? Yeah. Apparently they spent uh, like a hundred and twenty million dollars. They filmed. It actually finished filming a couple of years ago. It sat on a shelf. Wow. They really? Didn't know what to do with it? They went back and did some reshoots. They re-edited it. They so apparently it's very disjointed because there's like old stuff that was filmed years ago that's been mixed with right. new stuff. So yeah, apparently it costs uh, a pretty penny to make and uh, and and it's not not done well so far. So did it just start this week or? Yeah, I think it was two weeks, a couple ago. weeks ago. Okay, yeah, mm, so bad. It's got well, one star, and the critical praise quote is uninspired. Really, Rotten Tomatoes, fifteen percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, twenty forty or Blade Runner twenty forty nine still at eighty eight percent. So yeah, the people's sick, right? Yep, it was much higher. I guess. Well, I guess once it came out, yeah, eighty one percent for user score and eighty eight percent for Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, and again, hopefully it finds some legs. Again, I thought it was again, I thought it was one of the best movies I've seen this year too. And I think you know it, it has some real genuine bona fides in the same way that Arrival did. Like it is just a flat out well made picture. Yeah, well, it's got to go up against Murder on the Orient Express for for Hollywood. That's com- coming out next week. It's uh, coming out this week. Uh, so. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like you might want to get to those theaters <laughs> soon. Yeah, because yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, I think we're done. Oh, oh, do we do? Oh, we didn't do your picks. picks. Do your pick. I'll do your pick. I'll do one quick one and one slightly longer one. So the quick okay. one is uh, uh, they announced uh, that uh, Seth Rogen and his writing partner, whose name eludes me at the side, Evan Goldberg, uh, are going to do a an adaptation of the comic book series The Boys uh, for Amazon. It is an exclusive on Amazon. The Boys is uh, Garth Ennis' book, same guy who did The Preacher, which is now an AMC show, which uh, Rogen and Goldberg did and are doing. Uh, great series. It's a very, very flippant look at uh, superheroes or are narcissistic jerks and the boys are this group of sort of thuggish uh, uh, brutes who keep them in check and it's it's a very funny very witty very British comic book and it's it's really great I'm really excited to see what these two guys do on a platform like Amazon with that so that's they're, they're, so are they going to keep it in the British British vein I or? hope so and as a matter of fact it was uh, the main character in the book is uh, oh, what's his name from Shaun of the Dead yeah that guy Simon Pegg Simon Pegg they actually asked Simon if they could use his likeness as the, the lead character and so oh, really? it looks like Simon Pegg in the in the book and they always right. in, intended yeah. for him to be the, the character um, so I, I'm dying of curiosity to know if, if that's somewhere they're actually going to go with this because I would love if they would get Simon Pegg to be in this hmm. uh, and the other thing I have for my picks uh, so have you guys heard about this con- this naming contest uh, at frontierworlds.org Bodie McMurkface <laughs> it may as well be so um, so there is a satellite uh, let, me, right. let me look it up I want to get the names right here there's a satellite that is headed into the outer reaches of our solar system right. so it has gone past Pluto and it did a scan of Pluto and now it is headed towards uh, the Kuiper Belt and so they are looking for uh, let's see they are looking to send it to these two binary um, they're not even planetoids they're smaller they're looking for these two planetoids and so as part of this they've decided to give people a chance to vote on the name of these two planetoids that they're going to explore. Right, right. So if you go to uh, frontierworlds.org, you can actually go and they have a list of ballot nominations, things that they have put onto the ballot you can vote for. And you can also nominate things yourself. So some of the names that are on this list already, we've got uh, Sagittarius, we've got um, Luck and Persistence. There's somebody called the Mjolnir because they kind of look like Thor's hammer. Uh, There's a couple of ones. Pangu, which apparently is based on Chinese mythology for yin and yang. So interesting. Okay, fun. Uh, Somebody called, uh, put nominated and actually got it onto the ballot, Zadum, which is from uh, Babylon 5. Oh, really? Yeah. So uh, I'm surprised there's no Jay and Silent Bob on here. Dude, guess who was the guy who put in the nomination for Jay and Silent Bob? (laughs) (laughs) Is he on this show? I 100% did that. <laughs> I decided I would try one real one just to see if I could actually get a nomination. And I tried one right, just right. pie in the sky one because I've just got that sense of humor. So for my sense of humor one, I totally picked Jay and Silent Bob and said, they're just kind of.
kind of hanging out there in space. That's the, the most yeah, Jay and yeah. Silent Bob thing you can do, right? They're just hanging out sure, there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my my serious one was Castor and Pollux, which uh, are the mm-hmm. Roman gods that are based uh, Gemini, so twins. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll see if anything comes from that one. Uh, so it got me thinking about uh, the, the famous duos, famous duos in sci-fi. So if you guys are going to name something after famous duos in sci-fi, what do you come up with for... Batman and Robin. Batman, oh, Batman and Robin comic books, okay. I may Duo, duo, duo. Uh, I'm going to go with Beavis and Butthead in, in, in light of Jay and Silent Bob. Hmm. Yeah, I went to, uh, in, in the vein of our show, Kirk and Spock. Oh, right, Kirk yeah. and Spock. Yeah. Han and Chewie. Right, mm-hmm. right. Uh, R2 and 3PO. Yeah, for sure. Luke and Leia. Mm, maybe, I don't know. Howard and Raj. Yeah. Leonard and Sheldon. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah. How about Mork and Mindy? Yeah, that's Ooh, true. That's that one too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I just, I, I found myself falling down the rabbit hole of what could we name these things that would be hilarious. Starsky and Hutch, Cagney and Lacey. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, I highly advise, get your sense of humor out there, kids, and and send these guys. Apparently, they are doing, uh, they're going to do a running ballot. So basically, they're just going to keep adding things that they like. So what they're doing is these are the unofficial names they're doing, but they're also going to come up with an official name. So right. Uh, right. So Bodie McBoatface might actually make it. I think the, the notion is they're going to do a ballot. They haven't put anything too outside of the uh, Babylon 5 reference. They haven't put anything too crazy on there yet. Uh, mm-hmm. So I don't know how crazy they're going to go as far as their uh, their choices on the ballot. But get creative, kids. There's lots of opportunities to have some fun here because uh, the opportunity to name celestial bodies comes along very seldom. Right, not very often, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so have some fun. Robin and Marion. Robin and Marion. Hmm. Snoopy and Woodstock. Farley and Spade. Huh? Chris Farley and David, David Spade. Spade. <laughs> oh. Oh, really? Oh, you so young. I haven't even seen. I haven't seen all that. Those, those movies. There's Tommy Boy. And what else is there? Black Sheep. I haven't seen Black Sheep. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. as Tommy Boy, but it's funny. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yep. Right. That's my picks. Alrighty. Good on you. And you have nothing behind me, right? No picks this week. Nope. And I got nothing either. That's surprising. I can't believe that. Holy cow. Also, Greg, everyone should go that. see the, the new trailer dropped today for The Post, the new Steven Spielberg movie on... Uh, okay. What's the general gist of it? it it's about the Watergate. High level. But, oh, okay. Oh, the about Watergate, Watergate scandal. It's it's Steven oh, okay. Spielberg doing all the president's men. Oh, the horror. With Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks. The horror. Did, did, did you hear me say that... that I am um, aware of your disdain for the Watergate affair. No, 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 no. Aruna, Aruna told my sister Aruna told me that, and I totally forgot this. I didn't even realize at the time we were actually in Washington when the story broke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a bad smell. I just can't get rid of it. That's right. It's following you around, man. Mm, stepped in it. Make sure you don't step in it. Tim, I thought that would be one of those like deathbed confessions. So you're saying you were around at that time yeah, as I was a, a foreign agent, as you were. Yeah, yeah. I was a spy from Canada, exactly. <laughs> trying to scope out the whole maple syrup situation. Yep, that was us. All right. Well, I guess that's it for another week. So hey, hi. If uh, people want to look for you on the interwebs, where would they point their browser? Best place is I'm on Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. And hey, Jonathan, if people want to look for you, I am on Twitter at, at JPK News. All right. And I am Timitra, T I M M I T R A, on the Twitter machine. And that's it for another week. We'll see you in the future. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spockcast website at spockcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spockcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpockCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash Spockcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. Uh, Thor Ragnar. I heard uh, another friend of mine gave me his 
review. He said, if you saw Guardians of the Galaxy, it was sort of funny like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Thor Ragnarok was good. It was uh, it was funny and it was actiony. Mm-hmm. It was like perfect go sit and forget about the world for two hours popcorn fare. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was, it was very interesting how they decided to sort of take a different spin with the character because those first two movies were good, but they were like a bit of a slug good as a stretch for the second one but they were yeah. they were uh they were first one was good the second one was okay this one was yeah they were they were sort of serious in the sort of thor yeah, the first one was very Kenneth Branagh and... it was very like you know epic and grand and shakespearean um but you know it, tom hiddleston was great and yeah, yeah was not the best part of those movies which is always kind of weird to have you know your hero be the straight man but yeah but um no this one was good hemsworth you know i I will say, you know, and I heard somebody raise the point the other day, you know, he was the best part of that Ghostbusters reboot they did. You know, oh, I still haven't seen that, you know. He stole all the scenes he was in. He was charming right. and funny and goofy and... and yeah, he played the Annie Potts character, He played right? the Annie Potts character, yeah. So, actually, let me ask you a question, though. So, I started watching that on one of the online services. I can't remember if it was Netflix or something like that, but then I, I watched it for, like, the first, you know, 20 minutes or 10 minutes or something, and then something shiny got my attention, yeah. and it went away but i can't remember what network it was on when i was watching it i think it's on Did tmn you? i think you can see it on tmn oh tmn oh right yeah, okay it's I on tmn i think that's uh, i watched that with foster and mm-hmm. um yeah again it's i mean nothing will be able to hold a candle to the original ghostbusters it's a, just an absolute perfect storm of of prime of his career bill murray mixed with you know amazing ivan reitman at the height and like, there's just you know dan Aykroyd and, and harold ramis and you know, like it's just it's a it's a really yeah, it's a period piece in that sense. Well, I mean, it's a classic sort of piece it's in just, that sense. Yeah, yeah. it's just a, a perfect piece of that era and it's hard to touch. So anybody touching that was going to come under scorn. A lot of people took shots at it because, you know, they decided to do an all-female Ghostbusters. I thought they were great. I thought they were really funny and, and you know, likable and, you know, brought a lot of different mixes to the table. I, I it was good. Um, but I think my only, qual- uh, my only quibble with it would be the, the plot just wasn't as strong. Like, it wasn't really it wasn't the actresses it wasn't the performances it was it wasn't the jokes it was just it was kind of an eh, it was okay plot I didn't you don't invest so uh, I think that was my you know my sort of take on the whole thing was that it just it felt like very Hollywood contrived a little uh, yeah just just not not as strong as it could have been so, so getting back to um, Thor Ragnarok so, didn't you lose the you know the Nordic actor that uh, played the professor guy yes was a bit in the second movie didn't we lose Scar- Skarsgård, yes. Skarsgård. What's his name again? Uh, Stellan Skarsgård. Okay, right. And, and how did they deal with him not being in the movie? They just wrote out... Uh, oh. <laughs> they wrote him, and they wrote out uh, the Natalie Portman character, and they wrote out the Cat Denning oh, really? character. Uh, they, they do... The only one they touch on is is uh, at some point early in the picture, they mention that Thor and the Natalie Portman character, uh, Dr. Jane Foster, have split up, and there's sort of a, a quip about the fact that whether he dumped her or she dumped him and he sort of defensively says no 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 I dumped her um, so yeah they just basically just sort of said you know look over here we're doing something completely different now right so so does that mean that Natalie Portman is no longer in the Marvel universe is I that, believe that, that is saying? what we're supposed to take from this is that she's wow. they decided to go a different direction and she was not part of it but uh, huh. I don't know if that was her saying no thank you or them saying no thank you or a mutual no thank you but but she's out so right, right. so they mm. and and they also didn't bring back Back, um, oh goodness, I don't remember her name. The actress who played Lady Sif. Uh, I'll just give it a quick look here. Who played who? Lady Sif. She was the uh, the female. Oh, the girlfriend from. The, yeah, she's uh, on uh, Blind Spot now. She's great. Jamie Alexander. Yeah, yeah. Jamie yeah. Alexander. Um, yeah. Who, who's very likable in those first couple of movies and as always sort of right. the, you know, I was sort of destined to be Thor's girlfriend and, and yeah, he's yeah. chosen this human and stuff like that. But yeah, she uh, she was busy recording, uh, doing her show Blind Spot, which is... which is uh, Yeah, what did you think of Blind Spot? I watched it for the first little while and then it just got very sort of cheesy TV style and I just gave up on it. Yeah, I, I, I watched the first little bit of it and then sort of chalked it up as a, I'll binge it at some point and haven't gotten right. back to it. So, I mean, it was just a casualty of my desire to watch 
watch a ton of yeah. genre TV, but, but same with I, that one, I like yeah. her a lot. I think she's very talented, and I think she's you know she's obviously very very beautiful. So uh, you know, yeah. same with that South Asian actress. Same as that South Asian actress in Guantan- Guantanamo, I think, or I don't think the one about the FBI girl that um, they think she's a terrorist at the very beginning. Oh yeah, I haven't seen that show. Is that good? I watched I watched the first little bit of it, but then it got a little it got a little TV ish as well. I mean, you know, I think I think the major networks still have an issue with with letting loose the reins a bit you know so they're very predictable plots you know points and stuff like that so i stopped watching that one but i know i know now it's on it's on the netflix and so i might go back but is she not from degrassi i, I kind of lost it saw some sort of connection she's from degrassi at some point well you know we happen to have the internet right here in front of us let's see yeah, we do. anyway so we got jaime here hey jaime hello hey how you doing bud we're trying Good. to do uh, we're trying to do a little bit of thor so here's a story with thor so jonathan and i were both planning on going to see thor and carol dropped the car off like i, I work right downtown and so I, I basically walked 15 minutes north to meet carol and get in the car and then toronto traffic is so crazy i mean mark complains about driving from redwood city to, to san jose i drove two and a half miles in 90 minutes <laughs> wow, right. so by the time amazing. i got by the time i got down to like i drove from down if people in toronto will know i drove down bay street to try and get on the gardener expressway which was all backed up for some reason or whatever lakeshore was all backed up too so i drove from dundas down to lakeshore in 90 minutes and I was sitting in the right hand lane had another 45 minutes of driving to look forward to to meet Jonathan to watch this movie or I could go into the left lane and say screw it I'm going home you know after a long day's work right so I just I just sort of thought you know I'm not that big a Thor fan so I mean I kind of was when I was a kid but you know I decided okay well you know what I'll just pass on it I'll, I'll catch you some other time but man that's that was brutal and and so w- Jonathan and I are going to go see Justice, Justice League, League next week next week yeah next week yep. I'm taking the transit I'm totally taking the transit <laughs> That's with the cars. You can drop me at the subway station after the movie or whatever, but I am not going to go through that nonsense again. I, I, again, those of you who listen to our show, and I know there's only like a handful of you right now, but those of you who listen to our show who drive in downtown Toronto, you need your heads examined. <laughs> Take the transit because sitting in traffic like that every day, you guys are nuts. I don't care how good the podcasts are. <laughs> That's it. You load up your podcast. I was going to say, Tim, you missed out on an opportunity, I think, you know, probably... I don't know, half an hour into this, um, I might have considered pulling off to the side, pretending, you know, popping my trunk, or sorry, my hood, pretending that there's something wrong with the car and just walking home. Just like, abandon <laughs> your car there. And just come. Yeah. Well, no, it's, it's funny because cause I, as I was getting close to like Lakeshore, there's there's one more, there was one more exit before getting onto the highway. And there was a nice man there waving with his flashlight to say, come park here. And I literally thought, you know, I could park my car, I could still take the transit and make the movie. But then I said, I'd have to go back and get the car and blah, 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 blah. It's just, you know, they do all the event, like night they do the event parking for like the Blue Jays games or the, or the uh, Leaf games, I guess it is now, right? But the Raptors games. Yeah, no, I, I seriously thought about parking the car and just, you know, bye-bye. You guys are nuts. <laughs> yeah. Well, you missed out. It was an enjoyable flick. I would say go see it still. It's uh, it's it, it's funny. It's a it's a flat out funny movie. Like, yeah. In the I still si- have to see Wonder Woman. I haven't seen Wonder Woman yet. Yeah, you got to do that too. Uh, not not as it's funny, but, but a good flick. Look at that. We ended just on time. Perfect. I was trying to be expedient there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I lost track of time. Okay, all right. I'm ending the recording. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.